Hello, and welcome to episode 38 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, April 16th, 2020. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's great. We're living in a time warp. How about you? (laughs) Pretty much the same. Yeah. I'm sure everyone feels that way. Yes. Yeah. It's been pretty quiet in my house, which is good. That's, uh, I think, all you can ask for at this point. You have to go to the grocery store and walks and dog is super happy because everyone is here all the time. So that's good. The real winners of this pandemic. Yeah. My niece just got a new puppy and so she's been sending us pictures and it's a super tiny, like fits on her shoulder. It's the cutest thing. So. Oh my God. That's been enjoyable to see. I could do a delightful animal right now. Yeah, I don't know if I, I guess you would have lots of time to train the puppy, but. No, I want it trained. Thank you. I'm okay. like a geriatric dog. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not totally geriatric, just trained. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's chat. We've got all of our usual things on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and we'll be bringing back on the fly because we've had some fun things to share. And I just wanted to quickly say, I hope this is kind of a relaxing little chat for you guys, as well as for us. No pressure. Like we we have time to to bake all day and read lots of books and do all the things. I know there are people that that don't have that time or that luxury. And so you don't have to be inspired by us. You can just be like, you people are crazy or whatever. As long as you make it, you make it through the day, that's a win in my books. However, you need to get it done. I'm really feeling for the parents of young children. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Our kids are older, they're teenagers, they can manage their own online learning for the most part, you know, we check in and whatnot, but on the needles. I finished my sweater. The weather got cold again, so I put it it back on today because it's very comfy cozy. This is my Weekender by Andrea Mowry. It has a great boat neck. Yeah, I'm pleased with how it turned out. I never, sometimes boat necks come out too wide or maybe it's going to be too narrow. Since I was holding two yarn, two fingering weight yarns together instead of using, I think it calls for worsted. So my gauge was a little off. So I did a larger size than I thought I would need so that it would come out a little bit smaller and be about the size that I needed. It was a little bit, a little bit of wonder about how it would all <laughs> turn out, uh, but I think it did turn out really well. The sleeves fit nicely, which is kind of the main thing. The body is oversized, but not too much. Very comfy, cozy. And then when I soaked it and blocked it, I think the yarn even got a little bit softer. And I didn't, when I was trying it on for size, when I finished it, I didn't think, oh, this sweater is super crunchy and uncomfortable. But once I put it back on, I was like, oh, wow, it feels even, even more soft and, and delicious. So that's great. Yeah. So it's really fun. Both of the yarns are from Hello Stella Fibers. And I got them at the La Mercerie booth at Stitches West. Wow. What is today? Two and a half months ago. <laughs> so that's time pretty, warp. time warp. That's pretty impressive, I think, for me at least. The regular fingering weight yarn is the basic Stella in Streetcar Named Desire, which is white with the teal and the pink magenta. Very bright pink. You can definitely see the pink. And the Savvy Stella in Oil Slip, which is just this really dark blue-green, is the uh, slubby yarn. It was really fun to work with. It was a little bit tricky at times. The slubs would sort of come out in weird spots, but overall it was a fun project. I'm super excited with how it turned out. It's different from anything that I have, so I really enjoyed that. And then since I had finished the sweater, I thought it might be a good time before starting this another one, which I will definitely do soon, to get caught up on my charity hat knits. One of my goals for this year was to do a hat a month for the compassionate charity here in the Bay Area that delivers hats and scarves and gloves, whatever hand knit items you want to offer to homeless and foster youth in the Bay Area. And so I did a hat in December, I did a hat in January, and then I haven't done anything since then. (laughs) So I thought maybe I should uh, do a few of those. So I did two stash busting helix hats. Uh, That pattern is by Jessica Rose, and it's a free pattern on Ravelry. And it's a really nice pattern. I've done 
that same pattern for both my mom and my son. It's really easy. It's a ribbed brim. And then you use three colors of yarn, end up knitting stripes with them. And they're not, well, it's a free pattern. So I can tell you knit halfway around with one color, add another color, knit the rest of the way around, add in the third color, and you keep picking up the yarn that you left dangling where it was. And so it does a cool helix effect. Um, so it's a great way for using up leftover yarn. I had this scarf project that I was going to knit. It was going to be a scarf. Um, it's like the weather ones, but you can do it for sports team season. So you commemorate the wins and losses and home games and away games in different colored yarn for your sports team. And then you have a cowl or a scarf that documents their season and you can wear it to the games in the future. And so I'd ordered one in San Jose Sharks colors, but my blue was not the right color teal. So I never really got excited about the project. And then there's a lot of hockey games in a season, so it was going to be a lot of knitting and I just never did it. So I've had this yarn sitting around forever. I had a charcoal, a gray, a white, and a aqua instead of teal. So I thought I would repurpose them, use them for these hats. Uh, it's a, the yarn is a Cascade 220 Superwash. So be really good, easy care yarn lasts forever. First hat I did had a blue brim and then I used the gray and the white and then the next hat I used the charcoal for the brim and then added in gray and white as well. So yeah, so those were super easy. We started a Marvel movie marathon so we've been <laughs> watching a lot of TV. It's great TV knitting. So those two are done. I'm taking a little break thinking about what I want to do for April for my April hat. I might do something a little more interesting but we'll see. I, might, I still have a ton of that yarn, so I might just do another color combination. I did wear my Murnong hat out on mm-hmm. the front porch the other day. I had to get out of my four walls, and so I sat out on the on the porch and was just sketching down the street. And it's very shady in the front of the house, and so people were walking by in their tank tops and shorts, and I was so cold with <laughs> my hat and all buttoned up on the front porch, but it's super easy to wear, even with all my hair tucked underneath of it. Nice. Good. Yeah, our weather has been super wonky. What else? And then once I had finished the hats, I didn't have anything that was good TV watching, knitting. So I pulled out my Elton Cardigan by Hohi Locatelli, which is burgundy. It's endless stockinette back and forth knitting. So knit a row, pearl row in a fingering yarn and a mohair silk lace weight yarn. I'm back to working on that a little bit. That might be my TV knitting for a while just to keep making progress. I keep measuring it and it grows a little bit, but not as much as I would like. So eventually it'll get done. It was good TV knitting. That's a good choice. Yeah, because it's really, really boring and kind of kind of a pain to do. So I have something else to to concentrate on then yeah, that keeps working. And I have two things that aren't super great TV knitting. I'm still working on my Ninmue socks by Rachel Coopy. That is her free mystery knit along. All of the clues are out now. And um, at the end of the final one, she said she's going to start another one soon. So I'm not sure how I feel. Well, I'm excited about that. But then I had decided to do the socks one at a time and have not been rushing with them so that I could sort of enjoy the process. But now if another one's coming out, I feel like I need to get a move on. But I finished the first sock, and it's beautiful. The yarn is the usual from Nama Nama in Ned's Rainbow Trout, which is this dark teal with swirls of purple and pops of red and kind of like a trout that I've had in my stash for 10 years. And so now it is becoming its best self. It's such a great pattern. I'm really excited about it. I think mystery socks are sometimes hard to design something that makes sense as a continuous pattern, but also makes the mystery interesting. I mean, you want to have the pattern kind of change and be different, but also flow as a full sock. So you don't look at it and go like, oh, this is where you changed. This was, you know, the second clue. This was the third clue. So this one was really good. Lots of mini cables, um, cross stitches, some lace patterning. It flows really beautifully. It's, you do have to pay attention to what you're doing, but it makes sense as a pattern. If you, if you're not a new sock knitter, not a new lace pattern knitter, it, it makes a lot of sense as far as what is going on next. So yeah, so I finished that one yesterday and I cast on the second one, but I haven't actually started knitting on it. So I literally have a row of <laughs> 76 stitches on my needle. Uh, hopefully today I'll have some time to actually get started on that one. Because I do like this 
those socks. And I haven't made fancy socks for myself or for anybody really in a while. So that was fun. And then I am continuing on my Dragon Rider Cow by Afifa. That was part of the pandemic survival kit from Forbidden Fiber Company. And I got six mini skeins of her Fortitude sock base in very bright, cheerful colors. One red, two blues, and three greens. So I'm about halfway through the third section of Fisherman's Rib, which is so squishy and nice. But again, very slow going, and you kind of have to pay attention just because you're putting your needle in the stitch below. Um, so it's less muscle memory than regular ribbing would be. Um, I ended up doing the three greens as kind of my background colors. So they do a fade on the inside of the cowl. And then on the outside, I have the red and then the two blues. And once I get done with this section of ribbing, I think I have another 24 rows to go. The pattern switches, and I think I haven't really looked at it, but I think it goes into stockinette or garter stitch or something. So that should go much faster. So that's been fun. I've been enjoying that. That is my listening to the governor's daily press briefings knitting. <laughs> Uh, so it's kind of good on the fly but yes necessary huh yeah i I find it kind of soothing like someone is paying attention and i try and check in with both new york and california because they they do them daily at about the same time and very different presenters so and that is all my knitting it's been good i have like a whole bunch of different projects i've been thinking about what sweater i want to do there's some uh more socks that i want to get done and and I got to figure out another hat pattern. So plenty to keep me occupied, but I'm, I'm really pleased with the, the getting through my stash. I mean, it's not, it's not gotten that much smaller, but I do feel like I am actually, that's a lot. I've been ordering a lot of yarn too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these people, I know I keep, yeah. Well, they keep having, you know, sales or special colors or, you know, it's they're important to support. I'm, I'm supporting my, my artistic community. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I do what I can. How about you? What's on the easel? Well, I cleared my desk last week after we chatted and realized that I have about six in progress pieces for Australia. And I made myself choose which one I'm going to, I think I'm going to do two more to completion. And then I'm going to move on and let the Instagram people vote where we go next. So I'm finishing up a portrait for Lemon Latitude, and hopefully I can talk about that next time we chat. I've been struggling with it because portraits are a challenge for me. Instead of wrestling it into submission, I've just restarted it, I think, three separate times now. I think it'll be interesting to look at all three when I'm when it's all said and done and see what works and what doesn't just for my own process then I'm working on that leaf grid with the the 10 by 10 letterpress paper from a case for making which is just down the street from you how are you deciding on the leaves I wasn't going to say but I think since this doesn't release for a little bit oh you don't have to No, I think it's okay. I am doing, all the leaves are in the same orientation, but Uh they are all variegated. So leaves that have like broken color, they're not Uh all the same tone. And I'm trying to find the craziest. There's There's a couple plant families that have super vibrant variegated leaves. And one plant, the coleus, I totally love because it is a very forgiving plant, either house plant or a yard plant. And it lets you know when it needs water. And then when you give it water, it's just the most grateful thing. <laughs> and it perks back up again. So lots of coleus leaves in this. And then maybe some prayer plant. I don't know the, the Latin name of that prayer plant, but it's usually a dark background with really vivid veining. A pretty simple leaf shape and then other ones that I'm finding on my walks around the neighborhood and just taking pictures of so that's coming along I'm a little bit I don't know if you can say behind you know I should be 14 grids in. I think I'm eight or ten grids in but it's okay and then last week started the hundred day project and I'm doing 
100 Joyful Things, where I try to find one thing during the day that sparked a good memory or brought me a little bit of joy. And it's been a great moment of focus on something positive because while we're all in the middle of this incredibly unbelievable pandemic, we're also having some family health stuff here, which is just, it just feels surreal and in a weird way. So finding those little things, that's been a complete anchor for me. And I'm writing a little bit about it. What about it brought me joy. And I think one of my favorite ones so far has been the National Geographic covers. Mm -hmm. Because they came, my father-in-law lent me a, a stack and they were from like 2013 and all still in their plastic. Oh, you know, wow. He had never opened them. And he has stacks and stacks of unopened National Geographics all over the house. It made me think of my grandfather who thought his collection was going to be worth millions. And I wrote about that in the, in the caption. But that kind of thing in the middle of all of this stuff just is so delightful. And I do have a list of joyful things just on the everyday things that I really like so that I can fall upon them if, if I'm otherwise uninspired. But one of the pieces is um, that yellow dance French enamel cookware that was inspired from watching the salmon noserat salt acid fat heat. I'm getting that mixed It's something like that, yeah. Yeah. And it, it features twice. And I just thought it was so cheerful because it's yellow. And I love that show. What a great series if you haven't seen that. So just little touchstones through the day. And one thing that I'm doing totally different that I've never really done before is on the journal. You know, I'm keeping all of these in a journal. Normally, I just print on flat sheets and have each piece is like a separate leaf of paper but these are all bound in a journal. And oh. then I'm going to show you another At the bottom of the page, I'm doing oh, wow. actual personal journal. Oh, I just hit myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm doing a little personal journal entry about what's going on with the family or, you know, what, what made the day a little bit brighter or just journaling basically, which I, yeah. I normally... I do normally keep a journal, but not with the art. Right. So it feels like it's going to be an even more meaningful look at this time when right. it's all said and done. And hopefully we will be in the clear by the time the 100-day project ends. Although, who knows? At least more in the clear. Right. One day closer. And that is kind of what's been occupying. Oh, and then the other, I, I have been getting wonderful questions from people about how I use my gouache and I realized that I should really make like a cool printable gouache guide and and somehow make that available to people because I often answer the same questions and I think it would be a good resource even if it's just my one way of using gouache so that's been brewing in the background Although the kids go back to school next week, and that means that computers will be... At a premium? Yeah. All of a sudden, the tech use goes way up when the kids are back in school. So, But it's something that's on my mind. Cool. And that is what's on the easel, Monica. Nice. So on the table? Yeah. What have you been cooking? Desserts. <laughs> Actually, not as many this time, I think. So I did... Do you want to hear about the floating islands or the summer... The strawberry cake first? they're both delicious oh my gosh floating so islands. floating islands so floating islands it's french dessert it is a pool of creme anglaise which is kind of like pudding vanilla pudding but thinner like a sauce and then on top of that you put a meringue and these i don't the recipe i followed has you poach them in milk so it's you're just basically eggs and sugar and milk Did that's you all you need that the whipped meringue, the uncooked yep. meringue, yes. and then you poach it in milk like a dumpling? Yes. Okay. It's crazy. And then you is, chill. I've never heard of this before. Oh, really? Just the really? dessert in general or? Um, any of the technique. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard of creme anglaise though. 
Yes, I've heard of creme anglaise, and I've heard of meringue. <laughs> I have never heard but of poaching meringue yes. in milk, and I've never yeah. heard of this dessert, period. Yeah, so it's super light. It kind of puffs up, the meringue puffs up a little bit while it's cooking. It's not, yeah, it's not like a pavlova. It doesn't get all crunchy. I guess, do you use cream of tartar in a pavlova to stabilize it? I can't remember. Anyway, but it, you're not I'm slow roasting it like you would a pavlova. Um, the poaching just keeps it super light and airy and fluffy. And then I chilled it for, I think, like two hours. So you could, you had to do at least an hour up to three. The creme anglaise, you can, you can do a day in advance. Um, and then you, they also had directions for making a caramel sauce. I could not get my head around that. So I, I bought some caramel sauce and you just drizzle that on the top. So you could do actually like a fancy, like sugar mold kind of caramel thing where you yeah. make it more like candy and that was just too much. The jarred caramel sauce was delicious. And that was my mother-in-law's. It was the dessert that I remember her always ordering if they had it on a menu when we go out to dinner. I don't think it was something she would make at home because my husband is from a large family. So making that for that many people would be crazy. Is it something that is, is it hard to keep it warm? Like once you've poached the meringue? Oh, well, I mean, you want it cold. Oh, or at least this one you did. Although it was interesting, we were talking about it because my husband said, oh, I've never had it. I don't remember it ever being cold before. I think you could probably do, to have the, the flavor con- or the temperature contrast, you could do the cold creme anglaise and then poach the meringue and put that on there right away. And then away. a warm caramel sauce. Yeah, or if you did the crunchy, like spun caramel sugar, then you would have an additional contrast because that would be all crunchy and everything else is super soft and creamy. But it's an amazing, it's, surprisingly delicious flavor there's really i mean there's nothing to it so you use the yolks in the creme and then you've got the egg whites for the meringue and i think my creme turned out a little bit clumpy i might have overcooked it a bit or i just needed to stir it more but it was delicious is there vanilla extract in it uh yes there is vanilla in the in the creme anglaise not in the meringue i don't think no i don't think i put any in the meringue definitely in the creme but not the the rest of it it's basically making pudding and then making meringue. Name the put like as long as you get the meringue firm enough, it sits in the poaching pretty well. I had some little bits fall off here and there, but then you know I just I used them for tasting to make sure it was acceptable. The family was very pleased. Yeah, it was good. It was hard to find a recipe that made an appropriate amount. A lot of it would make here's eight servings, which I don't need because I don't think it would keep very well. I mean the the creme would, but the meringue isn't gonna. Last that, would not be a, that would not be a problem here because we know how to divide eight. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure it would have been fine and they would have eaten more, but it was pretty, fi- I mean, it's, it's pretty rich. Really? Yeah. And so what I did, I found a recipe that made, yeah. So the recipe made six servings, but the creme was six egg yolks and the meringue was four egg whites. And I was like, that's not happening. So I cut down the creme and we still had like a full two cup bowl of the sauce and it was plenty. And you get a whole bunch of egg whites. Yeah, I think you win the prize plenty. for most complicated pandemic dessert. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's gluten-free. So that was oh, good. Yeah. Okay. That was good. And that's the thing is I'm finding myself drawn to things that are well, obviously gluten-free, but a lot of like puddings and custards and things, except that those use up all milk and eggs, which is what my store is currently rationing. If they've had the eggs, they've had the milk, but you can only get, you can only get one thing of eggs, two containers of milk. So that used up a lot of both. And then try not to go to the store more than once a week, obviously. So that was a little bit, a little bit dicey. So we'll see if my milk is going to last for the week, but it was worth it. It's delicious. And then the strawberry summer cake was great too. We had a discussion about it because the recipe calls for barley flour or optional barley flour along with regular flour and a ton of strawberries. I had a whole container of strawberries just sitting there that nobody was eating. So I figured I'd throw them in the cake. You bake it low and slow for a while. So the strawberries get all sweet and kind of broken down. Like they weren't fully jam-like, but they were pretty pretty soft and delicious. This is a smitten kitchen recipe. And she said to use the barley flour for half of the regular flour. Barley flour also has gluten, so I couldn't do that. But I did have almond flour sitting in my pantry. So I thought that might be a good substitution. 
It was very interesting because we were looking at, and I texted Courtney and another friend that does a ton of baking to see if they thought that would work as a substitution. And we all agreed that yes, but it was very interesting looking at the recommended substitutions and most of the alternative flours, it was like a quarter cup or a third cup of that for the regular wheat-based flour. Um, but she just had you do a full even sub. I didn't do that exactly with the almond flour. I had a little bit of my regular gluten-free flour left in the packet. So I sort of threw that in the cup and then filled the rest up with the almond flour. So it was maybe, I don't know, it wasn't, it was maybe a quarter of the amount called for was the, right. or a third of the almond flour. But it added, you know, a different little flavor to it. We did pick up some potato flour, mm-hmm. which might be a good substitute for something like that. Does it taste like potatoes? No. Interesting. It's very, it's, it's a little, it just has a little bit more body than rice flour. You know how rice flour is very fine yes, and hard to work with? Mm-hmm. Potato flour feels more like the gluten-free flour in terms mm. of texture, whereas the almond flour feels crumbly. Yeah. So worth looking yeah. at. Those kinds of flours are still on the shelves at our store. Yes. I am not having trouble finding the gluten-free flour. And I have to remind myself, nope, I have bought plenty. I still have two or three packets at home because yeah. I kept, it's like, oh, it's here. I should buy some. I'm almost done because I'm baking all the time. And it's not actually true. But that one was really good. And that was, you know, just a, other than the alternative flour, it was a very basic cake plus lots of strawberries. So that one was good. Have you seen the whipped coffee thing on Instagram? I have, but I'm we not made a coffee it. I'm oh. a coffee drinker, so. Okay, that's true. Tell me so, everything. So I made it yesterday. Simon had actually seen it. My husband first found it, at, I don't know where, some online article. So it's this whipped coffee thing that people keep posting their photos on Instagram. It's also called Dalgona coffee, D-A-L-G-O-N-A. And you make it by whipping instant coffee, sugar, and hot water. And you keep whipping it until it gets super frothy and creamy. It's the most bizarre science experiment, but delicious. And then you serve it over a glass of iced cold milk, ice cubes, milk. I guess you don't have to do ice cubes, but I did. It has hit the New York Times, so that was their recipe that I followed, (laughs) which was interesting because I used two tablespoons of the instant coffee and then a tablespoon each of sugar and hot water. And I was kind of scrolling through some additional recipes later, and they mostly seem to have a one-to-one ratio for all of them. So I don't know what was going on there. Anyway, it worked. It was amazing. I did have to get out the electric beater because the regular whisk, I would have been there for days. What kind of instant coffee are you using? I actually use Starbucks, which I think might have been more intense. I think they grind their super, super fine. My store didn't really have any good instant coffee. I don't know if everybody's bought it and is is making with coffee. I don't think that's the case. They might just not really carry it. So I'm going to continue my hunt for that um, to maybe try again. It was good. It was interesting. You know, it killed 10 minutes of my day. Once you mix it all together, you don't, because then you, you put the fluffiness on top of the milk and then it says to stir it in. So then it's basically like an iced coffee. So I don't know. That was sort of right odd. up until the ice part. This is what I do with matcha every day. <laughs> you know, oh, it's like yeah. matcha, hot water, yeah. whiskey, oh, yeah. a little bit of honey, a little bit of almond milk, no ice because yeah. it's freezing here. It did say, yeah, it did say you, well, yesterday was nice. It was sunny and warm. But yeah, it did say you could do it over hot milk as well. It felt like it felt a like thing. going to the coffee house and exactly. getting something a little bit different because we're on day yeah. 28. I don't, I don't know. know. Something. Yeah. So I feel like now I've done it and I can move on with my life. <laughs> I don't really need to get it. I have, a, you know, I have a cold brew recipe that makes delicious iced coffee that you just dump everything in the pot and let it sit in the fridge overnight. So that seems a little easier. I also, I started off with the mixture in a bowl. And it was a decent sized bowl and it's only two tablespoons of liquid, basically three tablespoons. And as it got bigger, I started having the coffee like splash outside dots of dark coffee staining everything. But I realized my immersion blender came with a tall, narrow pitcher that I have never in my life used. 
but it was perfect. Okay. So that was very exciting. And then as far as actual food, I made polenta in my Instant Pot, which was fabulous. Maybe not the most exciting thing, but it was super easy to just throw it in there instead of having, like, like risotto, instead of having to stand there and stir it and stir it and stir it for 20 minutes, throw it in the Instant Pot, turn it on, go on with the rest of your life and the other things you want to make for dinner. So that was super nice. That was probably my biggest dinner success. That's funny. <laughs> and I do love polenta with maple syrup in the morning. So there was enough left over to yeah. do that as well. I mean, I have other things that I made for dinner. There was no Nothing really good. great, exciting wins. I mean, they were all new things. I cook new things. Oh. I don't generally repeat. Um, but I repeat. I made a, a soup that was too spicy last night. We did cheesy black beans that were good. I did. I do feel like I've done a pretty good job of finding recipes that are new to me, but are fairly easy and are easily adaptable because I never know what's going to be at the store now. Yeah. When I went last week and there was a half hour line to get in, but the store was packed with produce and everything. This week I got there, there was no line, which was super exciting. There was also no produce. Like there were apples and parsley. So (laughs) that was kind of interesting. So I had to kind of rearrange some things. That's my table. How about you? For the savory stuff, I I am a repeater of recipes. Oh, I did Um, make the turkey burgers. Those were still delicious. Oh, good. Yeah. We had those last week too. My husband would eat a breaded chicken breast every single day of the week and again on the weekends. And so I don't have a problem repeating stuff here. The kids get tired of it, but we're good. I did make a new version of, you know, that like one skillet chicken rice broccoli mm-hmm. recipe that I've had success with. I found one for sausage and spinach and rice. Ooh. And that one was really good. I don't know why it was different. Maybe just having a different protein in there did the trick or something like that. So that was a really fun recipe. I also have been baking. I want to report that I had tremendous groundbreaking success with the Liege waffle, the Belgian Mm. sugared waffle with the pearl sugars in it. The dough takes, we let it age the night before because I wanted to have it for Easter breakfast. And so I got it to the point where you would knead it again with and put the pearl sugar in so it was just in the fridge without the sugar the night before Mm -hmm. and then i let it come up to temperature and then kneaded in the pearl sugar and that feels weird because you have is the dough really that stiff it's pretty stiff it's like a brioche dough wow so it's very enriched it's got a lot of butter in it and then when i was kneading it in like you flatten it out and you layer the pearl sugar, which is like pencil erasers. It's pretty big. Wow. And then you fold it on top of itself and spread it out again and then do another layer. It wants you to add a lot of sugar. The, the recipe that I had, which was on the box of the pearl sugar. <laughs> and wow. um, I compared it to a couple other recipes. I did not like the texture of feeling that dough with the pearl sugar in it. Mm. it that was off-putting to me. Because the pearl sugars are so hard and it just feels like, oh, this, I don't know, it just didn't feel right. But then once I got it all together and all mixed up and the waffle, waffle iron was heating, we put the first one on and it, it didn't really caramelize that well. And, you know, it's kind of like when you make pancakes or waffles, the first mm-hmm. one's always a tester so or a discard. Once we started moving through that dough and I just sort of portioned it out with a knife, um, like a five inch ball or a five ounce ball rather, then the, sh- the sugar pearls were even warm, warming up even before I put them on the, or they were sort of melting into the dough before I even put them on the waffle iron. Hmm. So the second or third waffle, they were caramelizing beautifully and the waffle iron they were a huge hit. Everybody loved them. They're very filling. They do not need a single thing because they're loaded with butter mm. and sugar. Anyway, they are very dense. I think like a half a one was a-okay with me. And they kept for several days in the fridge and then we would just put them in the toaster on low nice. because they burn kind of fast because they're 
sugary things. It was a great project and the kids were really sad. I noticed that one of my children, I won't name names, was up very late one night. And then when I came down the next morning, he had eaten a couple of them cold out of the fridge. (laughs) (sighs) So that's what I made for Easter. We also did just roasted chickens because I do not eat lamb and I do not eat (laughs) ham. Bam, I am. And then Adam made, I was teasing Adam about the, his grocery runs. So he's been doing the grocery store runs. And we are now the proud owners of an entire drawer full of unsalted, unroasted almonds, like just raw almonds. And there's probably seven bags in there. And I don't <laughs> even know. I have... You can make your own almond flour. I can. I can make almond milk. You name it. But what I didn't realize was that he was also buying a lot of flaxseed and flaxseed meal and chia seeds. (laughs) And I just, I don't use it as much as he does. And so all of the teasing that I was doing led to him sort of, fine, I'll make some flaxseed biscuits or peanut butter cookies with flaxseed. And so he embarked on a project of these flaxseed biscuits, which were terrible. They were just so <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and he tried to put jam on them and dress them up, and he was pretending that he liked he was them. Selling them hard. Yeah, you cannot fool me. But he did make a peanut butter flaxseed cookie that had flavor, <laughs> unlike the biscuits. And those were really good. I don't know that they're gluten-free, but I will ask him to, we'll put his recipe in here because I think people will, will get a kick out of that. I also made a new chocolate chip cookie recipe. Oh, you have been stuck inside for a while. <laughs> the, the, it's the kid's favorite. And after the, the flaxseed biscuits, <laughs> they were just like, please, please. <laughs> So I have been reading that cornstarch makes baked goods a little bit more tender. Mm. And I, I have seen chocolate chip cookie recipes that include cornstarch, but I mean, my chocolate chip cookie recipe is tried and true. And so I was sort of vocalizing this in the kitchen and the, the boys and Adam said, if we were ever going to experiment on a chocolate chip cookie recipe, like now's the time we're a captive audience, like let's have them. So this recipe is a little bit different ratio than what I'm used to. It has a little bit more flour, four teaspoons of cornstarch, a little bit more vanilla extract than even I use. And I always add extra, a little less salt and maybe a pinch more sugar, not much. Same technique, super cream, the butter, sugar, eggs, and vanilla. Sift together the dry ingredients and add it in and then really let it chill. And I did mini chips, mini chocolate chips, because Mm -hmm. that's all that they had, or that's all that we have here at home. They were great. Totally Mm -hmm. different than my chocolate chip cookies. Interesting. They stood a little higher, but they were still pretty fudgy all the way through, which is how we like them. They browned up completely different than mine do, which I have to suspect has something to do with the cornstarch. Did you bang your pan still or? I tried, but they did not, they didn't fall. So, but there is extra flour in this recipe. So maybe that's why. Different, but great. So I'm happy to share that recipe with people. I also made my friend Laura's shortbread cookies. We, we, were brunch guests of theirs about a year ago and they made shortbread for brunch which i think is completely appropriate yeah and her technique is really different normally for shortbread i would either roll them off or cut them from a log i think yeah but hers are it's from an older cooks illustrated and she pushes them into um, a springform pan without the bottom like on parchment in a springform pan Uh and then you open the springform and you cut a hole in the center. So that cookie, yeah, Yeah. that cookie comes out. You can test the doneness on that like tester cookie. Mm -hmm. It 
cooks really high at like 450 for five minutes and then you lower it and bake it for 10 or 12 hmm. and then let it cool and dry in the oven as the oven is is cooling down you know once you turn off the, the heat it makes a really gorgeous wedge-shaped cookie very successful shortbread recipe the one thing it calls for a cup of oats or two-thirds of a cup of oats at the beginning like just traditional ro rolled oats mm -hmm. that you throw in the food processor or in a spice mm -hmm. mill and turn it into flour mm -hmm. I think it would be a little, I don't have a spice mill. I have a, a coffee grinder that I use for stuff like that, but yeah. it doesn't hold that much. It's for spices. So I think if I, when I try it again, I'll just use oat flour because you could feel the like bits of oat. It's a negligible thing, I feel, but that the technique is really nice because the presentation is so beautiful. You know, like these wedges of shortbread. Yeah. That are perfect size for dunking into coffee or lattes mm. or whatever. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that side of it. And then in a moment of sheer brilliance and love, my next bake is homemade Nilla wafers for my oh. father-in-law. I found a recipe online. You know, my father-in-law would eat a case of Nilla wafers if you left it by his side. Not the most... <laughs> <laughs> nutritious of snack. So I'm going to try my hand at homemade Nilla wafers and see what he thinks about that. He may reject them outright, but I think they'll get eaten regardless. So I think it's, a, sure fair, it's a fair gamble. Yeah. So that is what is on the table. On the nightstand. So I've, I've gotten through many books, but I will say there's three of them are romances. So <laughs> I knocked them out in like a day. So I don't, don't want to alarm people by my, my long list of reading. I don't Romances are like candy. They just, they go really fast. Uh, so the first one I read was The Blood Print by Asma Zanat Khan. And she also wrote The Unquiet Dead, which was the police murder mystery mm -hmm. in Toronto, the Muslim community. So this one is full on fantasy writing, alternate world. Everything's different. There's some magic. Totally different genre, but equally good writing. So that was really, really interesting to see her doing two such different kinds of works. So the Blueprint focuses on Arian, and she is a priestess warrior for this religious order that has been squelched. There is a evil power has taken over their world that is very misogynistic doesn't believe in literacy because, you know, people can read, they can decide things on their own and remember history and whatnot. So her order is kind of fighting the bad guys. Um, she is sent on a quest to find a document, the blood print, which is like a one page written version of the text that they base their, I guess it's a religion on. So she goes off on a quest, has some companions, all the usual questing business, many adventures, a little bit of romance. It was probably a little bit darker than I really wanted to be reading in these days, but very interesting. It's the first of, I think, four books. So we'll see when I get to the other ones. It was, it definitely ended on a cliffhanger. It was self-contained to a certain extent. It, you know, she went on her quest and she found what she was looking for. Sorry, spoiler alert, but I mean... It's, it doesn't really ruin anything. You still just, you're mostly seeing how she gets to where she needs to be. The author also spent a lot of time talking about how gorgeous the main character is. Like anytime she meets anybody, they're like, oh my God, she's so amazing. So I'm not quite sure what the point of that was. It didn't really add to the story. It got a little annoying after the fourth or fifth time. But she's also like second in command of her order. She is brilliant. She's a fantastic magician. She's a great warrior. So she has all these other qualities that made her a really compelling character. The relationship between uh, her companions on the quest was also really interesting. So there was a lot of, a lot of good things in there as well. And just um, some annoying things, but I think that happens in, in many books. Definitely a dark, dark and disturbing, a lot of violence. So if that is not your thing, then I would stay away from, from this book. Yeah, new to me author, you know, new to me fantasy writer. So that was, that was exciting. And then I listened to Becoming by Michelle Obama. 
only what two years behind on this, but it's worth the wait. So nice to hear her voice. She, you know, I listened to the one where she's reading it, and it was really interesting. I didn't know much about their backstory, so that was really interesting, or certainly hers. So yeah, really fascinating, interesting, just her whole worldview and how she got to Princeton and Harvard and um, kind of her career path because you never really hear about that, and she did a ton of things before he became president. So yeah, it's really interesting. Definitely a good read, although I was a little bit sad <laughs> also listening to it. So, But overall, it was really, really good. And then after all that seriousness, I decided I needed romances. I needed something light. So I listened to, or no, so I read two books by Alyssa Cole from her Reluctant Royals series. I've already read the first one, which was Princess, something about a princess. Anyway, so I read, so this one is books two and three in the series. And the heroines of the series are all best friends. So you kind of get to continue to see the characters that you've known and loved, but you're focusing on a different character. So the first one was Duke by Default. And then the third one was Prince on Paper. So the first one, Portia is kind of been a party girl. She's super smart. She's got a couple degrees, but not been super focused in her life and has been a party girl. Her parents are constantly disappointed in her. So she has decided to get her life together and becomes an apprentice sword maker in Scotland for three months. Not sure how that's going to get her life together, but she figures this is the answer. So she goes to Scotland, meets the sword maker. She's doing some research as part of her job, discovers that he's actually a duke. He didn't know he was. So shenanigans ensue. It was light. It was fluffy. I like their romance. She is late 20s. He is of the advanced age of 38. It was kind of hilarious. He's got gray hair. She's like, oh, he's too old for me. More of the bigger hang up on both of their parts was that he was her boss. So they're both like, we can't do this. This is just ridiculous. So obviously they got over that. She kind of is finding herself, realizing what her strengths are. And yeah, so that was, that one was, that was nice. I had some issues with the whole inheritance title that he was hanging on to, but that's my personal, my personal issues. Um, and then Prince on Paper takes us back to the land of the Solo, which is an African kingdom that a lot of the action took place in the first book. And everyone is returned there for the wedding of the original couple from the first book. The cousin of our first heroine, who is also one of her good friends, is there. And her father is currently in jail because he was trying to poison the first heroine and destabilize the government. So not a good guy. So she's trying to re- kind of rebuild her life. And it turns out, and nobody really, so everyone knows that he's a bad guy and that she wasn't involved with it. But what they don't know is that he was emotionally abusive for years and probably poisoning her as well as a way of controlling her, the daughter. So she's trying to rebuild her life. She meets Prince Johann of Lichtenburg, who is a schoolmate of the original hero. It's just too complicated to explain shenanigans ensue. That's our couple there. Uh, again, very amusing. This one I didn't like quite as much. They just, they kind of went with a immediate sparks flying theme and I just didn't buy it as much. Like they didn't, I couldn't figure out other than sexual attraction, which is fine, what else they would actually have in common other than they both really had a lot of issues from their childhood for which they had never received therapy. And I just <laughs> felt like they, they both needed some time alone on their own, get through their issues and then see what's going on yeah this one i mean and i'm saying this as someone who just before this read a book where someone decides to solve their problems by going to be a sword maker (laughs) the reality of this one was a little bit stretched (laughs) there was so much weird stuff there was also some really good stuff she addresses adhd in in one of the books she addresses being non-binary in another one so there's a lot of of good social things going on but this couple did not do it for me. It was nice. It was fluffy. I got through it in a day. Alyssa Cole's a great writer. Those are both both fun. And so then I dove back into my more intense books. I read Feed by Myra Grant, who is pen name for Seanan McGuire, who wrote the Wayward Children's series oh, that I have okay. spoken about. So this one is a, I forget what they call it, like medical sci-fi. Basically, there's a pandemic going on during a presidential election. <laughs> so... Shut up, really? <laughs> really. And she wrote this many years, like 2014 or something. So I'd seen it because I follow her on 
Twitter. And so people started mentioning it again recently for fairly obvious reasons. And apparently when it came out, it got kind of panned because people like, this is so ridiculous. This would never happen. So anyway. <laughs> uh, so of course I had to read gosh, it. It's not even funny. <laughs> it's a little bit funny. <laughs> I have that kind of humor where I find it a little bit funny. So to be fair, actually, the pandemic had already happened and they're living with the fallout. So in that way, it was super freaky because they're in a post, they're, the society, yeah, the society has already changed and it's, it's a zombie pandemic. So there's still some issues. <laughs> it's completely ridiculous. But the weird they're thing, not, so. They're not like hoarding toilet paper and baking sourdough bread and. No, they're past that. Okay. So it so in 2014 there was a zombie outbreak. Various reasons this happened. So people have learned to live with it. Basically, everyone is infected, and until you die or are actually bitten by a zombie, you don't transform. So it's good, but people are constantly having blood tests at the door before you go anywhere. You have to like make sure that you are okay. And this is taking place in 2040. So it's been a while. It's like a whole generation has grown up living with this, this is their world. You know, all the outdoor stadiums are closed down because you can't have that many people together. And, and it's outside. There's no good way to protect yourself from can zombie you attacks. Can you see if somebody is a zombie? Or can Oh, you, you can definitely, like, yeah. Once you become infected, it's super obvious. Okay. Um, you can't immediately tell. And I guess there are also people who will spontaneously become zombies. So that's always an issue. There's sort of a, a time lapse, like from once you become infected. And there's, there's ways you can tell, like, they, your memory starts to go, your eyelid, your eye, uh, pupils get really dilated. So there's, there's ways to tell. And then they have blood tests that can tell super fast. So anyway, so our heroine, she and her brother and a friend of theirs are newspaper reporters. Actually, they're blog reporters. That's the way news gets disseminated, or for the most part. Um, and they are picked to follow around one of the presidential candidates and report on his campaign. And then things start happening. It all goes crazy. And uh, yeah. So anyway, so I really, I enjoyed it. It was kind of surreal reading this and then putting the book down and then listening to like one of our governor's press briefings about how things are going to change. <laughs> so that was a little weird, but I really liked it. And it was interesting because I had started one of her other pandemic novels, listening to it, and I just never got into it. But this one I really liked. I kept wanting to get back to it. And so I'm not sure if it was the listening that made it not work for me or if it was just where I am right now that I really wanted to keep reading it. I don't know. But this one I really liked. And there are a couple more books in that series. So I might, we'll see, have to pace myself on that. Then after that one, I read The Royal We by Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan, which romance. Did you read hmm? another one by her recently? No, or I think so. This might have been a, a book of the month. Maybe that's where I saw it. Oh, I think there's a set uh second one coming out soon okay. in this series. Um, this is basically the Kate and Will romance, but a little bit changed up. Rebecca is an American college student. She's doing her junior year abroad at Oxford and ends up living on the same floor as the prince. I'm mean, calling the Prince of Wales. He's not, he's like Will, he's third in line. So it's their whole romance. They, you know, first they're just friends and then they start going out, but they have to keep it a secret. And then they, it's too hard. So they break up and they get back together and blah, blah, blah. There's trials and tribulations and you get to kind of a behind, once they do get engaged, you get kind of behind the scenes look at all the stuff she has to go through, like training how to get in and out of a car and they sew weights into the bottom of her skirt so they don't fly up in the wind and she's got hair extensions so that her hair looks appropriate and she can't go shopping for herself because she has bad taste. <laughs> so <laughs> really, really interesting. And there's some family secrets, but basically light and fluffy. You know, sort sometimes of. when I wake up in the morning and I grab my cup of tea and I go sit on the sofa and read the New York Times on my iPad, I think there's some people who can't do this <laughs> like this, like can't just like curl up on their sofa in their pajamas. Yeah. And not that I'm comparing myself to any piece of royalty, but, but that wouldn't be appropriate for. Yeah, no, there's, there live. are definitely trade-offs yeah. to be made. And then I'm currently reading a ton of French, but we'll talk about that next time because we did a lot of chatting and you still have books to talk about. Yes, I'll be quick. I have three plus books. I read The Emperor's Children by Claire Massoud, which was a, I think it was published in 2006. And this is about four friends or three friends and a cousin who are living in New York City. And it's the time leading up to 9-11. 
in 2001. I did not know that picking up the (laughs) book. I think that in 2006, when it was released, it was one of the newer books about 9-11. And and it got a lot of traction at that point for being a a piece of history in a way, you know, like these people, none of us saw it coming, obviously. And so I think it's, it's good to read it this far out in a way, because I would have had a really hard time reading it in 2006. Right. So it doesn't start off with like August 2001. No, it starts off. And I don't even know that it had, I think it just says like March. Yeah. You know, and you don't really realize where it's going politically. You know, there's, it's not like there's um, like a CNN ticker tape happening in the background, mm-hmm. you know. It's just these four friends who are living their life in New York City, and one of them is trying to get a magazine off the ground, and one of them is living with her parents in the Upper West Side. One of them is dating a man in his who's his boss, and you know, and there's like a little bit of tension about coming out with his parents and how that's being received, and it's just it's really focused on their existence and their friendship and their 30 something lives. And then this nine 11 happens. It's just this crazy shift and it's not dissimilar from how I imagine people were just like living their lives before this pandemic. And then we have this, we're in this moment, like right now the change is happening. We don't know what it'll be like on the other side, not to compare the two events, but definitely that, before, during, and now what? Does the book go into the after part as well? Um, or is it just the lead up? Not really. It sort of just leaves you there with their upheaval. In oh, the interesting. Yeah, it, it is kind of interesting. Very, I, I, I thought it was a really strong, strong characters, whether or not you like them is another thing. Really strong Mm-hmm. although hard, a hard read. A not-so-hard read was Pieces of Her by Karen Slaughter, who I revisited in audiobook form. Karen Slaughter is the oh, the, that I... Oh, the two books at once. Simultaneously okay. merged the amalgam audiobook. So this audiobook. was just one book this time? One book, and I was okay. very careful <laughs> because I do have a bunch of her audiobooks in my queue. Anyway, right. lesson learned. This one is about a mother and daughter relationship, and her daughter is blindsided by an act that her mother commits. And she's got to like go on the run, and she learns that her mother has this whole separate reality, and, and the daughter is trying to figure out, like, who is this person that I have called my mother for all of these years? And it jumps back and forth from present day to like 1980s and the the mother's history is told through those flashbacks that the flashback characters are way more vivid than the modern day characters and I think that that's where I was sort of struggling with it was that the historical stuff was a lot louder than the present track and I am not quite sure why that feels that way for me it was a really fast audiobook that felt escapist. And I wasn't confused because I was just listening to the one. So bravo me. Well done. <laughs> so was this a totally different series? It didn't have the same characters as the other one? or Yeah, no, was it no. The same? This okay. was a different series. And I don't know if there's a continuation of it. I am okay. going to take a big breather from Karen Slaughter for a little while. <laughs> I had um have a couple book of the month book selections that are that have been waiting and now that I'm out of library books I I'm all over it and I read yes. Things in Jars by Jess Kidd this is a Victorian London 1860s Ooh. and there's yeah I, I'll hold on to it for you the main character is Britty Bridget Britty for short and she mm-hmm. is a lady private detective Oh, so she is a London kind of she was an orphan and she was taken under the wing of a doctor and sort of raised as a as a ward in this doctor's household. And he he was a good guy, but he had a really weird son. And so she was exposed to like a lot of violence. And then there's 
a lot of supernatural stuff happening. There's a ghost who follows her around and he's wonderful. I really want, I hope they make a movie or a show of this because I would love to see how they treat that ghost. He is, he just sounds like a really fantastic character. And then there's another character, Christabel, who is the commodity in this book. And she is stolen from her original, I don't know if it was her mother, because I think they found her in the ocean. She's basically a mermaid. She's washed up. Come on, Monica. And uh, <laughs> I think your, your laughter is muted. <laughs> it sounds it sounds awesome. It is awesome. And it was but so bizarre. Fun. It's so bizarre and far-fetched and fun, but dark, fun, dark, dark, fun. And, Sounds uh, perfect for me. Yeah, exactly. And there's psychic powers happening. And anyway, I love her writing. And so it made me look at what other books she had written. And I saw that she wrote himself, a book called Himself. And so I started playing the audiobook and I was painting away, working on my National Geographic covers for the 100 Day Project. And about 45 minutes into it, I thought, this sounds really familiar. And so I looked back through my list of books that I had read and I, it was a book I had read in 2018. I found it right away, thank goodness. And That's a while ago though. But I can also, I, reckon, I realize now, I really liked that book. And although I didn't recognize the cover and can recommend himself and things in jars by Jess Kidd. And I'm also reading a lot of National Geographic from 2013. Thanks to my father-in-law. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Good combination. What's on um, the fly? On the fly. So this is our new segment our in pandemic which pandemic segment, <laughs> our pandemic segment in which we discuss little fun things to do that don't, probably take that long just little ideas to to keep things interesting and joyful and joyful in these less than interesting times or i guess they're two interesting times that's weird yeah <laughs> anyway the first thing i found is andrew lloyd weber is putting filmed versions not movie versions but versions of the stage shows that have been filmed on youtube for i think it's 48 or 72 hours at a time every Friday at like 11 o'clock, 11 a.m. I don't know if it's 11 a.m. his time or it's 11 a.m. my time. Anyway, go search for Andrew Lloyd Webber. The shows must go on. He did Jesus Christ Superstar because Easter. This Friday is going to be the Phantom of the Opera. So they're on YouTube, totally free, totally available. So I've got one kid who's super into musical theater now. So he's very excited to check this out. Um, But like I said, I guess for copyright issues, they're only up for two or three days. So this one won't be available, but something else will be. I'm not sure how long he's doing it for. He certainly did many shows. So yeah, that one's pretty exciting. Um, and then the other one is not something that I came up with. This will not fly in my household, but a friend of mine, Kelly, actually, she did a show with us last year. Her house is doing themed dinners. So it is cook's choice if you are the cook you get to decide what the theme is the food does not have to match although it looks like often it is but you have your family dress up in whatever theme you choose so they have done um western they've done 70s they've done the 20s apparently tonight is going to be goth night for the 70s hysterical yeah so it's kind of whatever you can find in your house you have to have sort i guess i mean like my people don't have anything that you could I mean, I guess maybe they could. I don't think they would be out with this, but I think it sounds awesome. And for the 70s night, they made homemade TV dinners. So they made peas and carrots and chicken nuggets and cupcakes. For the Western night, they did chicken sliders. Yeah, so and it doesn't have to match, just sometimes it does. So mm-hmm. I thought that. And then another friend is doing it as well. Um, her family did 80s night, which is always a classic. So that could be fun if that is that is your thing to kind of Excellent. make your evenings more interesting and fun. How about you? I am watching and loving Hello Clove on Instagram. That is Seth Avett from the Avett Brothers, which is one of my favorite bands. Um, And he is doing like a daily solo song that he's just sort of playing. It's just him and he, it's sort of like watching someone dance and play their own accompaniment all at once because he's just can do the, I don't know, maybe other musicians can do this, but (laughs) 
play the drums, play the guitar and sing. And he's just totally into it. And I think it's just a really beautiful little gift to the internet during this time. The other thing that I am totally hooked on is the Jimmy Fallon home edition, the Tonight Show home edition. And he Mm -hmm. has been recording from his home and you know, a lot of a lot of the late shows are doing home editions with just a, a blank wall behind them, or like Seth Meyers is doing it in in his attic. And but Jimmy Fallon has like roped his kids into it, and they could not they could not care less. And it is so funny to see his kids like just unimpressed. <laughs> And his, he and his wife, Nancy, they take these walks and they answer questions that people write in, like how they got engaged or why is there a slide in their house? And they're so personable. And it just, it's sort of like them making the best of this super weird scenario. And it, it's kind of hopeful in a lot of different ways. So I have really appreciated how they're handling their quarantine, the show must go on kind of approach nice those are my two on the fly awesome have you seen some good news from john krasinski i saw a couple of those and i think that's so fun too that's awesome yeah there's only three of them and he does it from his house and you guys might have seen it he was the guy that got the cast of hamilton to do a sing-along for a girl like a nine-year-old girl uh, her expression was just priceless. She had wanted to go see Hamilton uh-huh. for her birthday and they couldn't go because quarantine. And so her mom tweeted about it or something and said, uh, it was okay, we watched Mary Poppins Returns. And John Krasinski's wife is Emily Blunt, who was Mary Poppins in that version. And Lin-Manuel Miranda was in there as well. So he like brought oh gosh, Mary Poppins so on and she thought that was awesome. <laughs> and then, yeah. Lin-Manuel kind of zoomed on them and got the whole cast sing. It was awesome. Um, and his other ones are equally cute. He he did a Red Sox-themed one this, this past week, so yeah, that was he's amusing. A, he's a good Bostonian. It's very uh, cute, yeah. yeah. Well, the, um, Jimmy Fallon is, does that classroom instrument thing sometimes, like in the studio when, when he has guest musicians and they, like the Roots and Jimmy Fallon accompany the famous musician and sing the song with classroom instruments which I always love but he did a version like a distance version with Sting last week and they did Don't Stand So Close to Me (laughs) and it is I don't know how they did it because they're all in different places and like Sting hands something to Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy picks up his thing and he's shaking it on the other it's so well done. I just, nice. that made my day. That made my day last week. So. Very nice, yes. Check it out, there, people. There are plenty of amusing things out there. And feel free if you guys know some some good ones, let us know yeah, either in send the them our way. Instagram post or on the rap group. I usually put up a, a thread for each episode. You can chat about it in there. Other Other ways to pass the time. I mean, you know, knitting is obviously the best way to do it, but. There are some, some other things. You do need to stop every once in a while. So And bake. And bake, yeah. Or read. Sounds like a podcast. We should talk about these things. <laughs> okay. So until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or Courtney SF, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.